ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Do you feel safe using public transport? Do you choose a bus or a tram over the train because you can sit closer to the driver, especially when it's dark? Do you call someone while you're walking home and especially under those dark underpasses to feel a little bit safer? Do you wish your station was manned when you got off of an evening after work? All of those things together, could public transport be and feel safer? And if that's the case, would you use it more? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Warrnambool, Daniel Miles. Daniel, today's show was sparked from a caller who we're going to have a chat with in just a moment, who certainly doesn't feel safe on public transport using a V-line service. And it got us thinking around how safe we all do or don't feel. Now, I don't know about you, but I have little strategies, especially if it's dark, to make myself feel safer and it might be calling someone or it might be picking where I sit or even taking a longer form of public transport like a tram as opposed to a train because I can sit right up next to the driver. Yeah and look good morning Rochelle I reckon this is something that a lot of people have been thinking about not just since the pandemic emerged and we all started getting back out of our houses but for a long long time and there's probably never been a, a more important time to have this discussion because we know how expensive life is. Mm. And there are probably more people than ever who are already and needing to, to rely on public transport as their way of getting from A to B, to getting to doctor's appointments, getting to the supermarket, all those little things that they need to do. There's a lot of people that don't have any other option than to get onto public transport. And the flip side is we know that the government's pushing for as many people to use public transport as possible just for the environmental impacts. You know, the amount of decarbonisation, decongesting roads. We need to get people on public transport. But there's this little hindrance, isn't there, of feeling safe when we get there. How do we get something that works in theory, that in paper, you know, is ticking all the right boxes, but there's this one little stumbling block and it's not one that's new. It, it sort of feels like it's been there for a while, doesn't it? It does. And I wonder over the years if we've felt more and more unsafe because we used to have station masters, we used to have conductors, there were more people around. So if you felt unsafe, we know people power, you know, safety mm-hmm. in numbers, you would feel like you had someone to go to. So, for example, if you felt like you were being harassed or you're a little worried about somebody on a train, you would get off at your stop or even at an earlier stop. How many of us have done that? We're like, all right, I'm just getting off at the next stop so that I can get away from this person, you would then go to the station master and you'd Mm -hmm. explain the situation. They'd either call the police or say, come and sit inside, Mm -hmm. call you a cab, whatever it may be. That doesn't really happen anymore. A lot of our stations aren't manned. There's no one there when you get off. And look, to be fair, the flip side of that is people say, you know, that's why we've got these PSOs. That's why we've introduced this whole new profession, this new rank, which wasn't around a decade or so ago when we did have those station masters present. But I I guess the alternative is we're saying we've got these PSOs, they're there, but it's not quite at the same level yet. It doesn't feel like it. You know, we, we do have PSOs, but are they enough? Do you feel safe on public transport? What do you do when you get in this situation? Yeah. Are you safe on public transport or does more need to happen? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. We're talking about whether or not you feel safe on public transport. Are they lit up enough? Do you feel like there's enough people there when you get on and off? The bus stops in particular, Daniel, let's not even get started Mm. on bus stops. (laughs) And if there's even a bus stop there or if it's just some kind of pole in the ground on the side (laughs) of the road with not even a light. Absolutely. The text line's lighting up and as is the phone line. Ella's called in. From Footscray. Good morning, Ella. Morning. I need to apologise. I'm just on the tail end of a cold, so <laughs> my voice is a bit scratchy. Um, but <laughs> That's all right. Heaps of people got colds at the moment. Do you feel safe, Ella, as a, as a woman using public transport? Um, not particularly. So I live in the western suburbs, um, and but I work sort of north. Um, and there have been sort of incidents, like there was one in particular that I remember I have to do a changeover at Flinders Street uh, to catch the line out to the Derriman Council. 
and uh, there was a guy who was persistently trying to get my number and I was telling him no and it was like quite early in the morning um, and the only way I managed to get away from it there was no one really around because it was about you know seven o'clock in the morning and I had to sort of jump off the end of the train so he was taken off to the Darabin and I had to get to then catch the next one which then of course made me late to work um, and it was just not really um, much and I just find that um, road the the, the the walk to the station is quite dark and then there's mm. I, my personal station I don't go to Footscray I go to Middle Footscray um, that's unmanned um, and you know I just feel like the particularly because I do leave early in the morning there's not really much around so if something like that does happen I'm just kind of stuck on my own do you feel yeah. like Ella the responsibilities come back onto us as other transport users to be that protection like you just said then I feel like there's not many other people around and it might even be that there's not many other shops open so you feel like you could potentially go into a, a shop or whatever it may be yeah, that responsibility of safety has come back to us being good Samaritans hasn't it yeah and you know it, but you know that that early morning train is a lot of people who are coming back on the from night shifts or their tradies are working overnight so I don't know how compass mentors they necessarily are um, because it's, you know, a lot of the time if you're at the end of a night shift, I've, certainly my partner works night shifts and is just completely zoned out so you may not even notice something like that happening um, and the other thing is that um, in my other job, which like, oh my god, good Zoomers, I have a few um, <laughs> we've got um, I work at hospitality and there are no trains coming home late yeah. at night. Mm. So, you know, or if there are, then they're very infrequent and I'm sitting there waiting on the station yes. for half an hour for a train that um, you know, or a bus replacement, worse, and it's very dark and, you know, unsafe. And there's so really, I, I want to be environmentally conscious and I'm quite an anxious driver. I don't really like doing it, um, especially not late at night after work. But um, I, I feel like I have no option anymore <laughs> other than taking my car. Yeah, and Ella, we're talking about what you can do to feel safe because a lot of people here on the text line already are saying that this is something that they don't feel safe doing. And Rochelle was saying at the start of the show, there are little things that we do to make sure that we can feel a bit more in control, whether it's calling someone you know, texting when you're a couple of stops away from your station, avoiding certain stations or underpasses. Are there certain things that you've taken to doing to make sure that you, you do feel that little bit safer while travelling on public transport? Yeah, well, I do try to sort of keep in contact but um, with people, but because my hours are so varied, I often end up, you know... <laughs> I can't be calling my friend every at seven o'clock at six fifty five in the morning every day, or my mum, or you know my partner, or whatever, because you know they might be asleep or they've got their own morning routines. Um, so it, yes, particularly the night shifts, I'll often talk to um, you know text my friend when I'm leaving work and make sure that I text them when I get home, and we all kind of do that because we all work off both, so similar hours. But yeah, there are there are little things, but it just is hard because it's not really. Your options are to either drive or mm. to risk it. <laughs> um. Ella, thank you so much for sharing that. I think there'll be a lot of people nodding away as you talk about that. But And I think a couple of the things that Ella touched on there, Daniel, was the 30-minute wait, especially late at mm. night when it's dark. And depending on where you're waiting and how lit that is, so the frequency of our trains, the fact she also mentioned that so many of our trains now are replaced by buses as yep. well. So depending on where you're having to get that bus from. And she's right. If you're working early in the morning or leaving late at night, you can't always be calling your friend or your partner or your parents or whoever it may be as your form of safety. Yeah, that fallback that we come to and that we've decided just as a community to, to create isn't there for the people that need these public transport services, which is people who work in hospitality. I'm also thinking shift workers, nurses, doctors who finish late at night and are sitting there waiting for that tram to come. It can feel like a very lonely and, and daunting position. So there are simple things we can do like lights, but are we doing enough? We did ask the Minister for Public Transport, Ben Carroll, to be a part of the program. We also invited the Department of Transport and we also contacted Victoria Police, but none of them were available to be a part of today's program. This is the Conversation Hour.
on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. We're talking about whether or not you feel safe on public transport and some of the changes you would like to see to feel a little safer and whether or not that would make your life easier. This text, Daniel, it says, I think the government needs to have a good hard look at themselves and at public transport. I remember when I first arrived in Melbourne about 35 years ago, the thing that I was most impressed about was the fantastic conductors on the trams who assisted me when I had to carry on a pusher with the newborn and they happily explained and told me where I needed to go but I've noticed so many international visitors now are desperate for assistance when getting on trams. There's no mm. one to help them. There's no way of buying a my key on top of it. Some rush off the trams scared that they're breaking the law by not having a ticket or not knowing what they need to do. We really need to up our game. And that's really interesting because that takes a whole other aspect. We're talking about commuters, people who rely on this as a public service, as a public transport, just in this cost of living phase that we're in because there's there's no other way or the environmentally focused but also what is the tourism experience of this we you know melbourne is a, a capital of tourism it's a mecca but for those people who do want to come into the city what's their experience like and i guess that is a, a really important thing to think of not only do they feel safe but do they physically know how to do it do we miss that interpersonal connection that you get from the conductor coming by and and stamping your ticket i mean i know that's it's a little bit nostalgic and a little bit old school, but, you know, is there something that we've, yeah. we've missed because that's disappeared? And the idea that almost the responsibility falls onto us now as users, as citizens to step in or to feel obligated to step in and how comfortable we all feel doing that. When this message says, I want to know how much cheaper it is to have PSOs versus ticket inspectors and the repairs to broken trams as well as having tram conductors. Well, a lot of today's conversation was sparked because Ian from Dalesford sent us a message. Ian, a warm welcome to the conversation hour. You don't feel safe on public transport, in particular on V-Line. Can you tell us what happened Hi, Rochelle. And Dan, yep, less safe, less safe every time I venture onto V-Line. Um, I've contacted everybody, like the Minister for Transport, the local member, PTV, V-Line, with no response, basically. So, you know, I'm doing this because I want to affect change. I want PSOs on the trains, not just standing on the platforms, because once the train leaves the station, you're captive to these, well, low lives that are running amok. Um, what happened to me, I drove from Dalesford, decided I didn't want to you know, go through traffic in Melbourne. So I chose to board a train at Deer Park last Wednesday at one o'clock or thereabouts. Um, as soon as I got on that carriage, boarded that carriage, I was aware there was trouble. Um, and of course, it's the quiet carriage. They always find their way into the quiet carriage because they know they can agitate. So it started off just with antisocial behaviour. Um, I will say the conductor got on the train, did his platform duty, got on the train, walked past them, did nothing because he's scared, of course, and powerless. So he ends up, as his usual procedure, to go to the rear driver's un unoccupied um, cabin and hide um, and it was I, I'm nodding my head listening to you with the introduction and the previous callers everything you said is spot on it's up to us to intervene and do their job be it PSOs or conductors because there's not enough um, it's not like the old days where we had a conductor and they had some power um, so basically what happened these five to six underaged, uh, and I'm going to try and remain calm and yeah, exactly. you know, not drop any uh, yeah, unwanted that's right. yeah. language. Yeah, good on um, you. So, yeah, it escalated. It's stressful. Like we, we understand. Like, it's an awful situation to be in, so we understand that, yeah, the emotions would be high, but it escalated, didn't it? So you tried to step in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm that good Samaritan you're talking about, along with a fellow traveller unknown to me. Um what happened was they decided, these kids decided to harass the 65 to 70-year-old lady sitting behind them. So the guy across from me, another regular traveller, as it turns out, he'd had enough. He stood up and said, come on, you know, back off. Well, they didn't. And as soon as he took his phone out to record their shocking behaviour, um, well, that was the trigger. 
and they came at us down the aisle like three rabid dogs screaming, you know, all the words that we don't like to use. Um, and he was he was in front of me because narrow aisle, I'm there as backup, and um, he's having to stave them off. They were coming at him, mm. clearly, clearly, you know, shouldn't say it, but clearly affected by substance. Were there many people so, on the train at this point, Ian? Yeah, the, the carriage was half full, um, but um, there was no assistance, like... At one stage, um, the lady screamed to me, call the guard, call the guard. And I just thought, what era are you living in? Um, anyway, so we, we're not having much luck getting them to back off. So I ran down and pressed the emergency button. That's going off, you know. And usually the conductor or somebody comes on and says, what's the problem? There was no response, nothing. And this kept going until we arrived at Platform 16 in Southern Cross. And, you know, you would think once the doors have opened, the train has stopped, they'd just say, OK, we're here, let's get off. Oh, no, it just continued. Mm. And, and then V-Line staff, um, ladies and men, were actually intervening because these five people were chasing that guy down the platform. You know, don't, don't think, oh, well, it's over, we'll go the opposite direction. Let's continue this. So anyway, yeah. it's something that sounds like Ian. It's taken a bit of a, a toll on you emotionally, physically. It sounds like it's oh, been a, a bit of a harrowing situation. Um, listen, listen, I'm no retiring flower, uh, <laughs> but I'm hearing but, that, Ian. I'm getting that. But I've let's put it this way: with your lack of response from the minister, because it's you know we can't comment, we can't come on the program because it's an ongoing matter, police matter, and all of those excuses that they use, and probably they're. Um, advisors are telling them to hide. Uh, I've had enough and I've written, as I said, to everybody that would listen, including yourselves. And I just want to affect change. I want immediate change to feel safe and you know, other people feel safe on these services. Well, lots of people are coming through, Ian, that are saying very similar things. So it is important to have this conversation. Ian, we wish you all the best. Thank you for sharing your story and for starting today's conversation because it is an important one and I think it's what's mm. hard is when you feel powerless and that there's no one to go to and we don't want to stop using public transport. We don't want to stop not feeling safe in our cities and suburbs and in our country towns to be able to get to where we want to go. Let's try and get through just some of these texts that are coming through. Being a bus driver myself, my co-workers and I don't feel safe ourselves. We have people spit, punch, grab, pull the steering wheel when I'm driving we know who trouble passengers are and guess what? We're not allowed to pick up trouble passengers. It's a battle drivers just can't win. We're not allowed to leave our driver's seat. There needs to be a shift in the mentality. We are public service jobs. We are not public punching bags. That's from Anonymous. And we're going to speak to the union about that in just a moment because that's mm. a big issue as well. And it's an ongoing issue. We had Elizabeth text in. She says, I'm 83 years of age and safety on public transport has never been any difference. In my youth, I attended college after work and travelled by tram, then train. And, oh, and I've just lost her. There we go. And walking long distances through city streets and then suburban streets at night. And yes, horrible things did occur to some unfortunate people. I escaped all harm, but just saying this is nothing new. So it's something that we've known about for such a long time, Rochelle, but we've yet to find the answer. And it's at a time where we're pushing as many people on public transport yeah. as we physically is can. Is it resources? Is it funding? Is it money? Is it lack of jobs in the area? I mean, there's another text here from Kim. It says, my 17-year-old will not catch public transport unless they're with a group of friends. I have family in Singapore with, Singapore with children who catch all forms of public transport. It's safe. Everyone feels safe. There's stricter laws. We need more security guards, please. Mike McNess is Victoria and Tasmania's branch secretary for Transport Workers Union. Mike, this is not just something that affects us as users, as we heard from that awful text before. It's affecting workers as well. What's going on? I mean, is it more unsafe to catch public transport at the moment? Uh, good morning, uh, Rochelle and Daniel. And thank you for having me. I, I sympathise uh, with Ian, the, uh, your previous caller, and Unfortunately, our members, uh, bus drivers, face uh, those kind of challenges daily. Uh, it, it's not something that uh, seems to be going away. Uh, there's always some measures that can be put in place, but uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, community standards are changing and uh, this kind of behaviour is increasing. 
Mike, we saw PSOs introduced as a measure to try and keep people safe on public transport, on trains, on train stations. Has it simply not worked? Are, are PSOs not wielding the authority to, to keep these areas safe? There has been some impact with the introduction of PSOs. Uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, the first round um, uh, of their duties and, and their jurisdiction consisted to train stations alone, uh, and it didn't extend to uh, the bus network or bus stops even at train stations. So that's changed a little uh, in the last 18 months, uh, but it's still a work in progress. We certainly need more security uh, on the bus network to support uh, not only the, the passengers, but also the drivers. So what would that look like? Do yeah. we need to have security guards on every bus? Uh, there's a lot of buses out there that would take a, a lot of resources uh, in order for that to happen. Hmm. Um, uh, but there needs to be an increased presence. Uh, and, and as I say, that that's starting to be introduced. The, the, the union itself has spent uh, probably about a decade trying to introduce uh, driver cabins or full driver screens uh, for bus drivers. Um, you know, we, we've, I've said myself many times, we... We can't control the community, but we can control the safety of our drivers. Uh, and the introduction of full security screens or cabins, similar to that in a tram, uh, does um, provide uh, uh, improved security and a physical barrier uh, for the drivers to operate in. Do they have them in other states? I seem to have a feeling that there's that plastic cabin on buses in New South Wales, in Sydney. Uh, there are some... Um, WA has had a, essentially a cage um, for about the last 10 years, but it doesn't stop people on, you know, drivers being spat on, yeah. hot liquids, mm. Uh, mm. all that, that sort of thing. So we certainly, I mean, it's a terrible thing that we have to get to this level where we're determining what kind of physical barrier is going to be put in there for a bus driver. Absolutely. Uh, it wasn't that long ago when, you know, people knew the bus driver's names. Um, uh, we're well past that now, uh, unfortunately. But uh, Victoria does have a program um, for implement implementing screens, uh, essentially from the driver's shoulder through to the, the windscreen. Uh, but it, it's slow, uh, it's behind, um, and we need it accelerated. Remember when we had to bring them in for cab drivers, for taxi drivers, and we sort of, I guess, we more and more of us are using Ubers now as opposed to... Taxis, but I remember when they were first mm. introduced, Mike, and I actually just found it so confronting that that's what, that's where society is at, that we need to actually put you in a perspex bubble to keep you safe. It, it is confronting, Rochelle, um, and especially when you're, you're sitting in a, a taxi there and, um, you know, you've got it uh, pretty much in your face. I, I think the presentation and the perception is a bit different in a bus. You've got a large vehicle, uh, you've got a small driver's space there that can be made secure. Uh, and, and as I say, it's something that needs... It is part of a program where new buses coming onto the network uh, have to have screens uh, by compulsion or part of contract. Uh, that's a space for us that we're still pushing through. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just something that, that needs to happen. As I say, the, the, the society is changing, the community is changing. Um, it, it's not about education of the community anymore or the public. Uh, we've reached the point where we just need more security and a physical barrier. We're asking the question, what can be done to make you feel safe on public transport? Speaking with Mike McNess, who's the Victorian Tasmanian branch secretary from the Transport Workers Union. Mike, when it comes to these incidents, we're, we're hearing that they can be quite harrowing, that they do have a, a real impact on the drivers themselves. Does this then roll on and mean it's harder for you to, to entice more people to be bus drivers, mm -hmm. tram drivers, train drivers? Is it having a tangible effect there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a um, shortage of heavy vehicle operators, whether it be trucks uh, or buses um, uh, across the country and certainly in Victoria. Uh, and specifically in regards to bus driving, there is a severe shortage. I mean, I would say that um, the, the Victorian bus industry would be anything up to 600 drivers short. Uh, you know, the, the conditions themselves uh, of work are, are very reasonable, uh, but it's this prospect of being exposed uh, uh, to violence, um, um, to abusive language uh, that does deter people uh, from taking up the work. And, uh, you know, anything we can do, I know there's a shortage of trainers as well, uh, but we've got, you know, our members are out there late at night, they work long shifts, uh, you know, the introduction of seven-day timetables. Yeah, 24 hours, new. all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, and 24 hours will be coming. 
uh, and they're in the regions and you can sit down and do any kind of a study you like, but they're in uh, outer suburbs that require extra services. Uh, these are also perhaps many of our hotspots that are identified uh, on the maps and uh, it becomes a bit of a self-perpetuating circumstance. There's quite a, a few texts as well coming in saying I'm amazed listening to this I'm 75, I love public transport I catch tra- trains on a regular basis including in the night time into the city my grandchildren catch trains at night in and out of the city as well, there is no fear for us on public transport but then there's another just finally Mike it's that process of if you do feel unsafe or if something happens what? who can you call, who can you buzz when you hit those emergency alarm buttons, who are you connected to and as we said earlier we sort of have asked everyone from the Minister for Public Transport to Victoria Police to speak with us today but this message here speaking about Ian who started today's conversation having trouble with the emergency response alarm on the V-line trains the, this text says the emergency button goes direct to the driver who gets a notification on the panel but there's no way to respond to that the driver has to call a conductor over over the radio to tell him which carriage the PEAS alarm has gone off on, then they go to investigate. If the conductor is in the other three carriages set to the alarm, they have no way of accessing or accessing the alarm, I should say, unless the train comes to a stand and they can go from one carriage to another. That sounds like a very long and complicated process if somebody's in strife and needs help straight away. Is that process correct? Uh, for bus, uh, for the, the V-Line network, um, I imagine that would be correct. The buses uh, across Victoria do have a duress alarm. The bus driver can access that um, uh, you know, pretty much at the steering wheel uh, level. That will go directly back to his depot or her depot um, and um, uh, that's accessed or, or dealt with straight away. But there's, there's major problems with that. And again, if you're working outside of uh, uh, regular hours, uh, it's all about all about resources, uh, manning levels, and so forth. I think, given back to the the comment there about um, the seventy five year old that doesn't have too many issues, I think the network is solid uh, in many regards. And the easy solution, I think, or the, the the way of identifying areas of concern is that they are repetitive. Uh, areas where there are big problems are known. Uh, there's regular issues in those areas and when we talk about allocating resources and improving response systems, uh, I think there's a big space for the Department of Transport and the bus operators to step into because those issues are easily and those locations are easily identified. Uh, We should be sending PSOs and security staff out to them. Mike, thanks for joining us this morning. Excellent. Thank you, Rochelle and Daniel. That was Mike McNess, Victorian Tasmanian Branch Secretary from the Transport Workers Union. As we said, we asked the Minister for Public Transport, Ben Carroll, to come on. We asked the Department of Transport. We asked Victoria Police. We weren't able to get them on the program this morning. Michelle, a little bit of context on the text line saying, I think we need a little bit of balance. Public transport is overwhelmingly safe. I've taken it largely daily for many years. The instances of problems could be counted on one hand, says Josh in Ascot Vale. But we get other people saying, you know, buses are designed poorly in and out. Extra security is not a solution. Eventually, there'll be nobody on the bus for the driver to drive. So what do we do? Do we need more lights? Do we need more security cameras? Do we just need more staff? Or fundamentally, do we need to just behave a little bit better? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Talking about how safe you do or don't feel on public transport, my name's Rochelle Hunt. I'm in Melbourne. Your co-host this morning, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. And I wonder too, Dan, once you start to sort of scratch away at this, how much of the responsibility, like with Ian, comes back to us as public mm-hmm. transport users to be that security? You all know what it feels like when you see somebody being harassed, you think, okay, do I step in? How do I step Uh in? Or maybe even if you just sense that somebody's got on the train and you have that feeling in your gut, right? Whether it's right or wrong, you think, okay, mm, I don't feel safe here. What's going to happen? You look around to who else is around you. Where should I sit? Should I move? Should I go position myself somewhere a little safer? And that responsibility, I think, has come back onto us. I don't think that's always a good thing, Mm. but I think it's kind of what's happened 
it is. And I think it's happened not just recently. This isn't a pandemic-born thing. This is something... I remember there was a, a really good ad campaign around it 10 years ago about people who were lurking at other people on the train. Do you stand in? Do you step in? But I wonder if that's our responsibility or if there's a better way that we could design a public transport system that's safe and comfortable for everyone. These questions aren't answered by you and I, Rochelle. They're answered by people like Marion Terrell, who joins us now. She's from the Grattan Institute and is the Transport and Cities Program Director. Marion, welcome to the Conversation Hour. I love asking people like you questions like this because <laughs> you are so much smarter than me in this field. How do we make public transport safe? Big question right off the top. Uh, I feel like that is a big question. Um, so thanks, Dan. I think um, one of the things that does make it safe in the sense that you're talking about where um, it's sort of interpersonal risk that somebody might uh, behave in a dangerous way towards another person. Um, I, I think one of the things there is critical mass of other people. It's one of the, the biggest protections that we've got. And so having a system that is well patronised and that is attractive to other to users um, so the, the vehicles come frequently enough and all that kind of thing and make good connections, that seems to me to be one of the things that around the world does mitigate against um, what you can't really entirely prevent, which is people behaving in a menacing way. But the there are things we could build in that we could fund in some way better lighting to be in a safer position maybe not as isolated we could improve our wait times on public transport we could hire more people that there are ways of i mean some people are talking about how isolated they feel their train station is so where it's physically located they don't even feel safe so there are things that we could design in that's true, and I think that quite a lot of work has happened in that realm, but that's absolutely right because it's really to do, um, basically, if you've got more people, um, and it might be the other passengers on the vehicle, but if you get off at the station and there's no one around and it's dark, then you know, it's a risky situation, uh, particularly for more vulnerable travellers. Marion, what does it look like overseas? I know you, you think of public transport systems working at their peak. You think of the Tube in London. You think of the Shinkansen network in Japan, where, as you sort of pointed to a little bit earlier, there's a critical mass of people and there's a safety in numbers. Are there, are there examples of what's happening overseas to make people feel safer on public transport that we can adapt here? Uh yeah, I think many uh, countries... Well, public transport is done very differently in different parts of the world. And um, in, the, in the more successful systems, um, it's a bit of a virtuous circle where you get a lot of patronage, so you get a lot of patronage. And to make that right, you've got to have convenient time. You've got to have good connections um, so that if you get on, off one vehicle, your yes. connecting vehicle isn't too far away so that you don't have to wait a long time between um, for your connection or for your if you're only taking one vehicle that that it comes in a reasonable time frame it's reasonably predictable it's reasonably on time but it, it is difficult I think the thing that governments really struggle with is that in this country about 25 percent of the operating costs are covered by fares it's not very much so it's not taking account of what it took to sort of build a railway for example um, but just the operating costs and uh, and so it's it's an expensive thing to run, and the more you start it up, or the more you invest in stations, I, I do think station upgrades and that that sort of thing are very important. But there, there is this sort of corollary that goes with it that you've got to do that quite judiciously because it costs a lot of money. And uh, even wait times, it's hard, isn't it? Because as we heard from, um, I think it was. Ali, our caller earlier, she works in hospitality, so sometimes you might be catching a train home at 11.30, 12.30 at night, maybe even later, depending on what time your shift ends. We do have 24-hour trains in Metro Melbourne anyhow over the weekends, but a 30-minute wait. So if you're on your own, some of the train stations even in the heart of the city, like Platform 12 and 13, are underground. You sort of feel mm -hmm. really quite uh, vulnerable in those circumstances. But can you just go and put on more trains, for example, if there's not that many people using them at that time of the night. Marion, stay with us. Erica's called from Paran. Good morning, Erica. Good morning. Um, I, I actually think the critical mass argument is a really important one because so many buses in the outer suburbs run perhaps once an hour even and, and not at all at weekends. 
And if there were more bus services, there there is safety in numbers, not always, but there is safety in numbers and also the coordination of buses with trains. Mm. I mean, you get off a train and you can wait ages for the bus and there's stupid things in the timetable where a bus will pull out a minute before the train arrives. I mean, Mm. it's just ludicrous. And they're just simple things that can be ameliorated, you know. It doesn't cost a lot of money to fix up the timetable for that to happen. And um, so I think the critical mass aspect yeah. is really important um, and coordination of services. Look, there are some tram services in Melbourne that I think do have more... It's that wait time. There's nothing worse too than seeing that bus take off and now yeah. and then, you know, you've got 45-minute wait on your hands. So, Marion, Eric has got your back with a critical mass number, but I guess the question devil's advocate there is there's going to be a huge cost to put on those extra services and people may not start frequenting them until it's been in for a while. Do you think people would be willing to stump up the cost of, you know, just doubling or tripling the amount of buses and trains and trams that we have to eventually get that mass of people on to eventually feel more safe? Or is the short-term solution of adding more PSOs, more protective areas for drivers, is that the short-term win that we need to get people on in the first place? Well, perhaps. I think there's a a very big difference between putting on an extra bus or tram compared to putting on an extra train. So one of the things about buses and trams is that they don't need to carry anything like as many people and so they can go much more often and so that's one of the things that, that I think is, is important for outer suburban areas, for example, where there might not be a lot of travellers. It, it's different around the CBD because it, you, you do get the critical mass much more easily. But once you go to areas where there are not a lot of people, then, um, you know, trains, are, it's just very hard to justify running a train if you, if you only really have a, a small number of passengers. So those after-hours kinds of services. So, yeah, look, I think... Um, it, it, your point is right, and and you you do see it with some services. Like I, I think, for example, if you think of any of your listeners who are familiar with the Canberra bus system, it used to be a system that had excellent timetable, and over time there were various changes and cuts. And the thing is, people drop off using public transport, but they don't necessarily go back. So um, it, the thing, the system can go into a negative spiral if it's not meeting the needs of passengers. So you do need to be able to be Mm. sufficiently attractive to enough people and also perhaps um, make driving a little bit less attractive is the the flip side Mm. of this. And I guess finally, Marion, what about people in regional Victoria? We're talking about CBD trains, buses and trams, but, you know, I'm broadcasting here from Warrnambool where there's a handful of trains that go into the city every day and a really limited number of buses. We can't um, upscale in regional towns the way that we can in Melbourne areas. So how do we look after and make sure regional people feel safe as well? Yes, well, it, that's actually one of the points that Infrastructure Victoria has raised as a priority, that the public transport within regional cities and between regional cities is, is an area that does need work. Um, but again, I think that the same sort of principle holds that if you if you don't have a lot of numbers then what you need is a smaller vehicle and that basically means more like a bus rather than a train. Now, I know people like trains better than buses, but um, it'll, if you do run a smaller vehicle, you can run it more often and I think that's fundamental. Marion, thanks so much for your time and your insights. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rochelle. Marion Tyrrell, the Grattan Institute Transport and Cities Program Director. Each day I feel perfectly safe travelling on public transport, says this text, but I'm a bloke. Day or night, I feel safe. And another Daniel Miles that says, this conversation is lowering the ABC standard. The current discussion on public transport safety is nothing short of sensationalism. Is that? Well, I was going to say the first thing I thought about when Marion was talking about smaller transport was I had an image of a mini moke going around dropping people on and off. So I, I guess that's probably not raising the uh, the standard there. So I'll I'll uh, I'll own up that one. Um, Lucy's called in from Pokopanya. Oh, I've said that wrong, haven't I, Lucy? It's Porpanka, near Bright in northeast Victoria. There we go. Thanks, Lucy. You've corrected me there. So I've you've you've helped bring up the ABC one more time. So I appreciate that. What would you like to say? I'd just like to share an experience um, that I had in, it was actually in Melbourne, so my mum lives in Mooney Ponds, 
and I was waiting with my five-year-old son and a little one in a pram for um, the 57 on Maribyrnong Road and there was a guy and his mum there and he was swearing and getting angry because the 59 kept coming past and then I think the 81 and I remember looking at my little one and thinking oh should I say something to ask him to watch his language and I thought no I'm not because my five-year-old's not reacting and we'll just leave it and he's carrying on and just swearing and swearing and you know, getting quite aggro, aggro and aggravated and then the 57 pulled up and he looked over at me and ran over and said can i help you with your pram and help me onto the tram with the pram then he went down the back of the tram and kept on you know speaking away the way obviously is is normal for him and then when he saw he kept an eye on me and when he saw me pulling up to the stop and getting near the um ready like to get off the tram he raced up the tram again and said, oh, I'll help you off. And his mum was like, oh, he's a good boy, isn't he? <laughs> and I just, um, I guess, I'm just trying to say that sometimes it's also about thinking about your own sort of behaviours and everyone of trying course. to be encouraging and welcoming and accepting. And I'm not saying that foul language is, you know, <laughs> is ideal or acceptable or whatever. But in that situation, I was just so glad that I didn't say anything yeah so what do we do then lucy because i mean we've all male female young old had that feeling where you've been either on your own or with a you know especially if you've got a a small child with you as well Mm. where all of a sudden you think okay do i need to be careful here do i need to watch myself and you start to i don't know about you but i i my brain goes and i look around who's here who's not here what can i do to should i get Mm -hmm. off you just kind of do a little equation in your head don't you and but maybe that's just human life i think it is but i also think it's about um like i know for myself i sort of shared that story with my young ones when they got a bit older and they actually started catching public transport by themselves from the regions to melbourne and back from quite a young age because they're allowed to on the v-line when they're 10 um because there are conductors and so that's exactly what we did we had to talk about those scenarios and what to do if you feel unsafe mm. and who to go to and and things like that so I, I do think it's about having those conversations um and but not sort of we tend to kind of be all in our own little bubbles and isolate ourselves and then feel more fear um mm. than perhaps we need to so it's about saying okay registering i feel a bit of fear and that's okay, but let's look at the big picture and let's also look at, you know, people I could go to. So, for example, our, our ones who travel down, they actually travel from Pulpunka by bus via Beechworth to Wangaratta, get on the V-line and then travel to Broadmeadows. And then they get picked up from my mum there at Broadmeadows Station. And um, and it's about for them knowing that if they feel uncomfortable, so I buy them, say, two seats, and if someone tries to sit next to them, what you know, what do they say? And they can go to the conductor. And if they ever feel really unsafe and a conductor's not around, then I tend to tell them to go to a mum with kids. You know, yeah, so, That's so my line <laughs> as well, go to a mum with kids. Oh, there's yep, there's something superpower. But being able to get on public transport, at a young age as well, because there's conductors on VLAN. I used to be able to catch a train from Maui to Warrigal on my own all the time at the age of about 12 or 13, mm-hmm. because there were always conductors. Yep, safety in numbers, and you've got that authority figure there. Uh, Lucy, thanks for calling in. Andy's given us a bell from Pakenham. Good morning, Andy. Do you have a solution for us? Yes, good morning. Why they don't just have CCTV in the carriages and even in on the buses, and then the driver or the conductor or whoever's on the train, all they got to do is hit the button when there's a problem and pull up at the next station and the guys in blue are there. Do you think it's that easily easily done? I mean, it's hard. We don't be, I mean, we have a shortage of police as well. Do you think it would work that easily, Andy? Well, even if it wasn't the police, some sort of security guys or something, um, and then, you know, everything's recorded what's going on, and then, yeah, just hit the button and the next station pull up and there's got to be someone there. Good on you, Andy. Good to hear from you as well. That text that we got earlier from Moose, who's in Lake Tyres, he says, I feel perfectly safe, always have, but that's because I'm a bloke. And mm-hmm. I do wonder if this is a gendered conversation. And there's been lots of research that has looked into how women in particular or gender diverse people feel about catching public transport, especially late at night. Dr. Fianca, Dr. Bianca, I should say, Philiborn is a senior lecturer at criminology at the School of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Melbourne. Is this gendered in some way, Bianca, this conversation? It absolutely is, Um, you know, as is the case with most or all forms of violence and particularly um, um, sexual violence and sexual harassment. So we do have really clear evidence 
uh, for example, that women feel less safe uh, than men on public transport during the day, um, but then even less safe than men on public transport um, at, at night time. Um, so it's certainly uh, gendered in terms of um, how safe men and women feel, um, but it's also, uh, you know, gendered in the sense that um, we know that gendered uh, inequalities, for example, drive um, a lot of this violence. So gender really comes in on, on multiple levels. Bianca, is this something that has always existed? Is it ramping up? We're hearing on the text line from people saying, you know, I used to feel safe when there were conductors around, but I wouldn't catch the train anymore. Are we seeing a noticeable increase in these violent incidents? Or alternatively, are they the, the few and far between that we're hearing from? Yeah, so it's a really difficult question to answer because we don't necessarily have really systematic um, data collection on these experiences. So it's difficult to track um, over time. Uh, but the other issue is that for a lot of incidents that make people and particularly make women feel unsafe, they're not always things that are, you know, kind of egregious forms of violence. They're often things like, you know, being stared at, being followed, perhaps having some kind of, you know, unwanted or, you know, odd comments made towards you. Um, and those aren't really things that we ask about um, or they're not things that are reported to police. So it's incredibly difficult to say with any certainty whether this is, you know, something that's getting um, better or worse uh, over time. What might have changed is that I think we do have the language to actually talk about these experiences mm. now and to label them as harmful. I mean, there's so many messages coming through saying we actually need to, need to talk about why and how we behave and act like this. But then there's also the long-term impact. So even if it is just really uncomfortable stares or there was times where you sort of feel your heart racing, you think, okay, I'm potentially feeling unsafe here, that then could stop you from using public transport in the future and the, the long-term impacts that could have on the decisions that you make in life. Bianca, stay with us. Glenn's in Ballarat. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning. How are you? Well, what did you want to say? Well, I was a driver um, in the Ballarat area and also in Hobart as well. And uh, I really loved the industry, but uh, I had to leave because there's been several occasions I was attacked, uh, abused, and it's hard to get drivers. It's because they get in that situation where they don't feel safe. And with the duress button, uh, with the company I was with, that would go through to a head office and head office would decide whether to uh, pass it on to the police or not. And this would sometimes take five to ten minutes. Mm. And in a situation which when you're being attacked and someone's trying to punch you or spit on you, uh, through the through the purpose, we do have protective covers, but you know they are if they want to get you, they, they can get did you. That, and, do um, you have any counselling, any help, any assistance? I mean, that's awful. What you've been yeah, through, Glenn. Um, yeah, they do. They, they um, I, um, I, I had some counselling, and then. Uh, they just said, oh, you just don't say anything to these people. You could have handled it better. And uh, this is why a lot of people don't, a lot of drivers don't feel like they're being backed up and it's always the, the passenger. And also in, in Ballarat, when someone was talking about the cost of transport, it it is no word of a lie, 90% of people do not use their Mikey card. They, they do not pay for transport. Mm -hmm. Which is a whole other so, kettle of fish. Glenn, I'm sorry you've had such a, a difficult situation there because that does sound quite traumatic. One thing that people have been bringing up is the difference between uh, trains and buses and trams. Buses and trams in some ways make people feel safer because you can eyeball the driver. There's someone that you can reach out to and, and feel safe with because there's another human you can physically connect with. But it's putting you in a dangerous situation sometimes. Is a solution to, to completely remove the drivers and, and put them in their own bubble like we do have on trains and, and I guess, separate drivers from the rest of the, the travelling public? Is that an answer? It's possibly an answer. It, uh, but the protection which they have in London buses, are, I mean, they're fully in, in a kind of a bubble, a perspex bubble. I mean, ours was three quarters uh, protected. But um, uh, 
I found transport. I've been to other places of the world, and uh, and it seems like the protection for the drivers are a lot more than mm. what we have here. Oh, Glenn, thank you for sharing that story. And I'm sorry that that's what you've been through. I mean, this message it says, tell the person that thinks the ABC is being sensational that they're terribly wrong. Come and spend an eight-hour shift with us on the front line at Flinders Street Station, and they might change their mind. Also, CCTV does not stop the offences taking place. It's useful if the offender goes to court. Just finally and, and quickly, Bianca, as we head up to the news, this message, it says many of the stations are manned with PSO, but our concern is for our daughter. Like many people walking home from the station, you're walking through streets that are dark. Sadly, many councils throughout Melbourne are inadequately lit. That's from James. So even where stations are positioned and how they're lit and how you get to and from that station can make people feel vulnerable. Yeah, it absolutely can. And that's something that's come through really clearly on the research that's been done in these spaces that, you know, it can also be that your last kilometre walking home from the station that can feel really isolating and unsafe. There's not necessarily evidence that better lighting is part of the solution. Unfortunately, um, you know, for things like CCTV and lighting, they seem like really attractive, um, easy fixes, uh, but not a lot of evidence that they actually do anything to improve um people's sense of safety and perhaps more importantly not a lot of evidence that they actually prevent this violence from happening in the first place. Bianca thank you so much for your time and sharing your experience with us this morning. No problems thank you. That was Dr Bianca Philiborn, Senior Lecturer in Criminology at the School of Social and Political Sciences with the University of Melbourne. I don't know if we've got an answer no. just yet Michelle we've got lots of ideas but not an answer. Uh, and I think we're all in the same position, aren't we? And we all have our own little strategies. Mm -hmm. I, I think the answer is more funding, more money. You know, it's slowly been whittled away, hasn't it, mm. where we just don't have the people. And I think that's yep. what's come through is that we feel safer in numbers. And if there was someone at the station, if there was someone on the bus, the train, the tram, whatever it may be, if it was in a place that was lit and not mm -hmm. dark... And at CCTV footage, yeah, I mean, that's great once the assault has happened, but, you know, yeah. how do we stop it from happening in the first place? And I think it was really interesting hearing from Marion Terrell from the Grattan Institute earlier this hour talking about the way to feel safer is surround yourself by people, but you can't have that if the trains aren't coming as frequently as you need. And then I guess the flip side is what do you do for those hospitality workers, yeah. the shift workers, early in the morning, late at night? It's just not feasible. And it's not even hospital, it's nurses as well. Yeah. It's all sorts of people that just want to be able to get home safely.